Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. This week we discuss the All Black start to the Rugby Championship and can they repeat their domination over Australia in the second Bledisloe Cup test. Nepal New Zealand eases its eligibility rule to allow Maria Falau to play in Australia. Is that a good thing for the game? And a number of former players go public in their support for Black Sticks coach Mark Hager. I spoke last week about how close I expected the Bledisloe Cup test was going to be. Well, it was close in the first half before the All Blacks turned on the form in the second half to run away with a 38-13 victory in Sydney. I'm joined by our rugby expert, Joe Porter. Joe, every time I expect the opposition to push the All Blacks and maybe even cause an upset, more often than not, it doesn't seem to happen. The All Blacks just have this ability, especially in the second half, to lift their game. I suppose, really, I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, well, I also thought that the Wallabies had their best chance in a while to sneak one past the All Blacks. The first split is low. The AB's a bit rusty, not terribly convincing in the French series. Wallabies coming back in Super Rugby a little bit, and some of their stars like Pocock back as well, and in Sydney, decent crowd. But and like you said, half time six five, and just before that it was six nil. You know, and and they did look like they were doing the business. They were slowing the All Blacks down at the breakdown, putting Bowden Barrett under pressure. He was making a few mistakes. Set piece was working well, and then it all fell apart in the second half. The Wallabies lineout went to rabble. Um, the scrum wasn't great either, and then the All Blacks started to go forward. Pocock was nullified in the second half, as was Michael Hooper at the breakdown, and they ran rampant with it. Bowden Barrett cutting capers, and like always, the All Blacks running away with it in the last 20 minutes. So it kind of played out to formula in a way. It's a bit disappointing, but maybe we shouldn't be surprised. They are try- trying to nail down this game plan heading into next year, so you'd start to think that they would be wanting to get their execution levels up pretty high, the All Blacks, and, and we saw that in the second half of, of last week's test. Now, can they do it for 80 minutes? Because they haven't started well in any of the tests this year, and that'll be what Hanson wants this week. And that's why he's changed almost an unnamed side. Yeah, it, there were mistakes from the All Blacks, which is possibly even a, a more yeah. of an ominous sign for Australia, that's especially right. in that first half they made mo- so many mistakes. But it appears to me there's uh, the skill level of the All Blacks, all 15 that are on the field is just outstanding, and that appears to come from confidence you know, in themselves and the, and the team and the likes. Um as you say, we were talking about a possible couple of changes uh, this week, but it, it didn't really happen except for the um, you know ones that the injury ones. So um, yeah, you'd expect it to carry on. Do you think this form? Yes, and I'd expect Hanson would want a more clinical performance throughout the whole eighty minutes this week. I mean, we must mention Brody Retallick, Guzzler back in the All Blacks. He certainly makes a marked difference to the to the side to any team he would. He's he's just uh, world class. That guy. He's probably the best lock in the world. And he's another demonstration of the ability that they have across the park throughout, you know, 1 to 15 to play as ball handlers. He catches the ball on the left-hand flank with a winger in an overlap situation after some quick play down the blind. He has the ability to take the ball to the line in both hands, throw a shadow dummy, which the Wallaby winger buys, and he goes through and runs 20 metres to score with a decent amount of pace and and sort of, you know, rugby cloud about him to get it done. So that's the that represents the All Blacks. These guys have skills, like you say, across the paddock that no other team really can match man-to-man. 
it's just whether or not they can execute that game plan at the time. And when they do, they can't be beaten really. So um, it's it's everyone's trying to keep pace. You would imagine skill wise with these All Blacks, especially the way the forwards can play the game. It's quite impressive. Yeah, no changes really. We, I guess it was a surprise that we saw Geordie Barrett come into fullback and Ben Smith getting pushed back to the wing. We thought that maybe you and I, Neha Milner, Scudder, and other scribes too, would come in and get a shot. Seems like he'll get his chance against Argentina on the wing. And I also thought that Leonard Brown, with his more test experience, would get the nod in the midfield. Nani Labape, who wasn't even selected initially in the squad's come in. So a specialist second five picking is what the selectors have said there. Um, yeah, I just expect them to continue on. What, what these guys do is the guys like Labape that don't necessarily direct the game from a leadership point of view. They have the confidence and trust in all those guys around them to do everything so well that they can just focus on exactly what they need to do within their singular role and nail that. And if they can, then it works like a well-oiled machine. It's when they're starting to be asked more of them to help talk to Bowden and that than when things can fall apart. So that's what Hanson wants to see from these guys. Can you do your core role? Yes. Can you do it when there's other stuff being asked of you? And the uh, Black Ferns had a good win first up in Sydney. They play the Wallaroos uh, in the early game at Eden Park. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of expecting them to, to move on. You know, a good crowd hopefully will come early to Eden Park to watch the game, and, and hopefully the Black Ferns... Um, led by Phil Farmasili, can sort of, uh, yeah, the excitement and they can entertain and just sort of show a local crowd for one of the first times ever just just what they're capable of. Yeah, that's right. And we do hope that, like you say, the fans get there early for the 5pm kickoff and give the black fans a crowd they deserve. World champions five times round. Look, um, you know, some fantastic players and stories throughout that group. Too many to name, to be honest, off the top of my head. But it would be, you know... You look, you look at the men's and the women's games, and sometimes people do make that comparison and, and about the athleticism, and et cetera, et cetera, but I was at the Com Games, and I was there on the day of the finals of the sevens, and I watched both the men's and the women's finals, and I can tell you now, I barely remember the men's. I remember they played well, shut Fiji, you know, Olympic champions down, and did a bloody good job of it, and played some you know, very well-drilled, consummate sevens rugby to win the title, but there was no drama really there, no theatre. The women's game, well, perhaps they might not be quite as quick, to run the 100 metres was just superb. I remember every single moment. I was hanging on it to the last breath when Kelly Brazier, I think it was, broke through with those tired legs when everyone was out on their feet to score that final try. So I think that people should should start looking at it that way. The, the black fans in women's sport, the drama of the theatre is still there. It's still a fantastic package and a fantastic display. So yes, hopefully a lot of people get out at 5 o'clock tonight, uh, sorry, Saturday night Eden Park to watch the Black Ferns because it should be a compelling game and they, you know, they're even more favourites than the, the All Blacks so they played some bloody good rugby last weekend, great walling tries let's see some more of that Let's hope so, for one Black Fern in particular just playing will be the realisation of a dream and a reward for never giving up, Joe has this report Patia Ferretti missed the World Cup through injury came back, has trained harder than ever and back in the lineup. Wellington's Jackie Partia Ferretti has demonstrated dedication beyond belief to reclaim a place in the Black Ferns. First selected in 2012, the lock had her sights set on a first World Cup last year, but two serious injuries wrecked her chances and threatened to end her career. However, Partia Ferretti wasn't going to let go of her dream, her father's fight with cancer giving her new perspective. My dad, he had prostate cancer, so he was going through that at the same time. I had my nine-year-old son... <laughs> when you suffer from cancer, the patient themselves, they go through a lot of pain. So just using his strength to help me carry on with training. But when her dad lost his battle, she thought about stepping away from the game. 
He passed away in November and then I didn't want to play more. My dad's always told me, oh, if you get opportunities in life, you take it to the best that you can because of blessings from God. You know, that's something he's taught me. I'm going to honour him and, and do that. So we kind of turned half our garage into a gym. I started doing extra trainings. So after work, I'll come home, do training in the garage while my son's doing his homework just so I can watch over him as well. Those hard times making her Black Ferns recall at the age of 32 all the more sweet. Got a text from Wes, he's a force coach, but the last time I didn't make it, it was kind of similar. So going through my head, I thought, oh man, I haven't made it. Anyway, I caught him and then he told me I had made it and I was pretty stoked and started getting teary-eyed. My <laughs> son ran to me and then he jumped with joy. Teammate Eloise Blackwell says Partia Ferretti and the other Blackfern's mums are an inspiration. We always talk about having two jobs. Well, Jackson and the other woman in our team who have children, you know, that's a, a whole other job in itself and how they manage to balance their time with their, with their family and their kids as well as their work and as well as rugby, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Partia Ferretti's Wellington coach Ross Bond says her mental strength is second to none. First time I met her, I walked away going, gee, you are impressive. Off the field, she has that leadership quality. As soon as you meet her, you understand why she's been a captain of so many teams. When she's speaking, you can hear a pin drop in the room. You know the, the mana that she has. And her work ethic, inimitable. The women have to make sure that the family fires are burning, that the kids are looked after. So they've got a whole portfolio of things to get done before they actually get to training. So for someone like Jackie, who's come through potentially two career-ending injuries at the age of 32, it's just outstanding. With wahine like Patia Ferretti in the Black Ferns, it's hard to see the Wallaroos coming close tomorrow night at Eden Park. Many thanks, Joe Porter, with that report. And you're listening to Extra Time. Desperate times are forced to change of heart from Netball New Zealand over eligibility rules for the Silver Ferns. The 128-test veteran Maria Folau is moving to Australia to be with her husband, the Australian rugby player Israel Folau. Netball New Zealand has granted Folau a 12-month exemption, making her still eligible to play for the Silver Ferns and compete at next year's World Champs in Liverpool. Sports editor Stephen Hewson reports. Maria Folau has been the stalwart of the Silver Ferns for the past 13 years. She's been a key part to many of the side's successes, from winning the Commonwealth Games gold medal in Delhi in 2010 to crashing out of this year's games on the Gold Coast when the side failed to make the podium. Folau has been selected to play next month's quad series and she'll be eligible for selection for next year's World Cup in Liverpool. Netball New Zealand's Chief Executive Jenny Wiley says Folau is now free to do what she wants on the club scene. Maria has been granted a 12-month exemption, so under our eligibility rules, she could participate in netball um, anywhere in the world. It's a change of heart from Netball New Zealand, who had previously insisted that players had to be competing in the local competition to be eligible for the national side. Laura Langman played for the Australian side the Sunshine Coast last year, but she wasn't allowed to play for the Silver Ferns. Wiley says that policy and exemptions remain in place, but the circumstances have now changed. A couple of years ago, when we were in start-up phase of the ANZ Premiership, the situation was very different. So the board is really clear that it is an exemption granted for um, the situation that we now find ourselves in and the circumstances that we're in. In phase two of our review, we will be looking at that policy and ensuring it remains fit for purpose. 
The mystics weren't completely caught off guard by Folau's decision, but as she didn't confirm she was leaving until now, it gives the franchise just over a week to find a replacement. That's left mystics coach Helene Wilson scrambling. We are talking both overseas and in New Zealand to players, but I am looking for someone who is able to anchor our shooting circle because every team in ANZ 2B, a winning team, needs a really quality shooter in there at goal attack or or goal shoot. Maria Folau has said that she would have retired from international play if she hadn't received dispensation. But the former Silver Ferns assistant coach Robin Broughton says Netball New Zealand now needs to have a hard and fast rule over player exemptions. They're going to have to tidy up all these loose ends with the players. It's not the same as it used to be where you just did as you were told. I always felt for Laura she'd given many years of a netball career to New Zealand netball and we needed her and I think we need Maria and the rest of the world's catching up. So we need to move with the times and create a environment that they can work with them. Maria Folau was unavailable for comment today. She's yet to confirm if she'll play domestically in Australia next year, but signing with the Sydney-based Swifts or the Giants would seem a logical choice. That's Stephen Hewson, and you're listening to Extra Time. Revelations last week, Black Sticks hockey coach Mark Hager accidentally sent an email criticising several players to the playing squad themselves, have seen him and his methods come under intense scrutiny. The situation has led to an upcoming review into the environment within the squad, which could leave Hager fighting for his future after a decade at the helm of the national women's team. But as one of his former players, and the country's second-highest female goalscorer of all time, Katie Glynn says Hager is far from the person he's being painted as. Glynn broke his silence on the issue to tell RNZ Sports reporter Clay Wilson that allegations of bullying, intimidation and scare tactics against Hager are well wide of the mark. I can only comment from my own experiences and, and, and that, but I never once, and uh, I started in 2009 with Mark and finished in 2015, and uh, never once would I ever have said that um, any of those things applied to me in the team environment. Um, I've never felt bullied, never felt like he played mind games, um, Anything like that, I just, you know, I, I would never associate our environment or Mark with, with any of that. So, how then would you encapsulate Mark's coaching style? Mark is he, you know, when he came on board, it was the New Zealand women's team was was struggling, and um, Mark, he, you know, it's high performance sport, and he creates a very uh, competitive environment that is very physically and mentally challenging, and he. He likes the group, he never allows the group to, to get complacent and he likes everyone to be, you know, fighting and earning their, their spot in selection of every tour, um, which I think is really healthy and it, and it keeps everyone on the team pushing and working harder. Um, and I think he has the ability to do that really well. He's, he's, he's tough, he has expectations, but... Um, you know, there are a lot of us who really thrived in that environment and, and enjoyed that challenge. And, and that's why, you know, our results from 2009 up until, you know, now have just got better and better and better because we are constantly challenged. Since you started in '09, obviously just a year after Mark started, has that always been his style? And if so, why haven't these sorts of concerns raised their head before now? Yeah, and, that, and that's probably a question I would ask as well. And, um, yeah, I, I think that has always been his style. And, um, you know, I don't, I think he backs himself and what he does is, you know, a good coach should do. 
And, you know, the thing that I guess I've really admired with Mark is, um, you know, he, he tries to create a really fair playing field with everyone. Um, he, you know, he, he doesn't show leniency towards senior players as opposed to, to junior players. It's, you know, everyone's in it together. And if you're going to commit, you need to commit. And, you know, I think that's really important in, a, in an environment and a setup like hockey in New Zealand. And, um, you know, sometimes people may not like that and might find it hard, but, um, you know, everyone's giving up the same things. In terms of moving forward from here, do you have any expectations about what is going to happen? I mean, I know you're not part of the team and haven't been part of the team since you retired in 2015, but I guess you're close with some of the players that are still there and you're still heavily involved with hockey. So from what you understand, I mean, what would you expect to come from this review? Oh, well, I think um, I think currently in the, you know, things that have come out in the media, like I said earlier, I don't think it's really painted a clear picture of where things are at. Um, I'm hopeful that the review will, and the review will show that, you know, Mark is well respe- respected by his team. Um, you know, there are a lot of players that are, uh, you know, happy and thriving in that environment. And I hope from this review that, you know, people see the type of person that Mark really is and everything that um, he does for hockey and has done for hockey in New Zealand. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been fair how he's he's been made out. And I think that, um, you know, he, he deserves for people to see the type of man he is and, and the type of work he puts in and, and how much he cares about this group of players. Former Blackstick striker Katie Glynn talking with Clay Wilson. This is extra time. The Wellington Phoenix Football Club say they never got the chance to trial sprint legend Usain Bolt. The world's fastest man has just started an indefinite trial period with Central Coast Mariners, with the eight-time Olympic champion hoping to become a professional footballer. The Phoenix general manager David Dome told me there is no doubt that Bolt's arrival in Australia has produced huge interest, but the Jamaican superstar was never on their radar. He's not a player that we were interested in to play in, in the squad, to be a squad member. He's certainly a player which brings a lot of interest, but you would need to be in the right team for that to work, not with the Wellington Phoenix. It's not the sort of player that our head coach would be interested in signing. Having said that, the amount of interest he has generated, you know, both within Australia and New Zealand since he's arrived at the weekend, has been huge. So that is a positive thing for the A-League overall. So he was never sort of uh, uh, on your radar or even, you know, you just sort of didn't know he was interested in the A-League? It was well known that he wanted a professional football career. We knew that he'd gone to Borussia Dortmund and then we know that he'd gone to South Africa to train there as well. He was not touted around the A-League. He was not offered up to all the clubs like some players um, have been. And like I say at the time, we weren't interested in, in pursuing it as, as an option. So it's not it's not as if we were we were ever going to actively pursue him, but obviously Mariners have a different view and they've gone after him. How do clubs or perhaps even players react to a sprinter trying to crack it in their game and perhaps just living off reputation? Well, I mean, I think different players would see it in a different way. Some players will embrace it as one of the most famous sports people sports people in the world bringing attention to their league, and other players potentially wouldn't see it quite so positively. Um, and at the end of the day, each player's got to go out there and perform for his team and do what he's got to best for his team, and whoever he's playing against is whoever he's playing against. Um, I think, you know, if you, <laughs> if you talk to 10 players, you might get 10 different answers on their view of, of Usain Bolt, um, potentially playing in the A-League. I guess at the end of the day, you'll see it, it'll boil down to two things. You'll see it as a positive thing, 
um, that it brings attention to the A-League and it brings a, um, a new set of eyes that wouldn't necessarily be watching it, including people, fans who would, might not otherwise come to games. Um, and they'll see that positive and other people will see it. Well, you know, he's, he's not a, he's not a, uh, a professional. He, he does not have a background as a professional footballer, so he's got to prove himself like everybody else. Could he crack it, do you think? Look, I can. I don't know. Again, it comes down to the role that the head coach at the Mariners want him to play and if he can actually do that job. He has played football and charity games before, which I, you, know, you can view on YouTube. And there's no doubt that the guy can kick a ball. He's not absolutely clueless. He does have some level of skill. Um, it's just whether he can fit into a role that the head coach at the Mariners want him to play. It's David Dome from the Wellington Phoenix. The new A-League season starts in October. And that's extra time for this week. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.